You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Stories of Jesus, New Life, and a New Family. In this series, we see that those who respond to the stories of Jesus are welcomed into the family of God, receiving new identity, new power, and new purpose. Now hear the word of the Lord. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name's Travis, and I'm one of the pastors. And uh, before I get too far into things, um, just uh, for those of you who were going to, those of you who attend uh, men's school, men's school has been canceled tonight, so please uh, don't show up uh, and uh, tell a friend, uh, and that's it. So there we go. That was my, I don't do, I have a lot of rules in life, and one of them is I don't do announcements. And so, but I'm trying to grow personally, yeah, I mentioned that, and so I did an announcement. So because, thank you, thank you, means a lot, I'm trying to be flexible, I'm trying to be flexible because rules sometimes make my life harder, like I have a rule, I'm, if you care, I'm really tired at the moment, and I have a rule not to fall asleep while I'm preaching, uh, so <laughs> I don't know, That's, so it's hard, see, I'm trying to maintain the rule, if you fall asleep, it doesn't matter to me, I don't make, I mean, I make rules about the rest of you, but I don't, I'm not going to tell you what they are, so. <laughs> um, but I make a I make a lot of rules. Uh, so one of one of I uh, so one of the rules um, is related to. So I have rules about how I'm to behave outside. So I think I've said before, um, you know, I don't I try to avoid wearing a coat until we get into single digits, um, and so. So that's one rule. Another rule is, and this is, I don't know, it's, it's kind of become a rule. It's more of an outworking of an experience of being married, which is ask questions in place of your spouse. And so I was uh, in a meeting and a lady had a sticker on her laptop that said, give me a minute while I overthink this. And so I, I said, can I ask you where you got that? She, got that? she said, I got that on Amazon. And I was like, well, I'm really asking in place of my wife because she would want she would want to know that because she would want to purchase it for me because I, I have a tendency to overthink things. And so 
the two shall become one flesh. Um, and so I don't know. I don't know if that's more of a. I don't know if that's really like an experience or a rule or whatever. But um, but with that, I sometimes ask questions in place of my wife, or it, keeping her uh, joined in in the process. She she does the same. She uh, she asked me recently, "What are we going to do about the backyard?" Now, just as an insider tip, um, don't, be, don't be fooled by the word we, okay? The first person plural word, we, uh, in certain contexts is just a socially appropriate way of really using the second person singular, what are you going to do about the backyard? But the two should become one flesh. I don't know that Moses had in mind yard work whenever he, he wrote that, but anyway, and you get... All scripture is profitable, right? It can be applied in all kinds of different ways. So, um, so, so there. So, what are we going to do it and uh, do about it? But the other rule, and I've stated this. This is a rule, really. This is kind of a universal rule for all people. Is like it's all about the children. Like you, you only do things for the benefit of the children. And so, in a moment of schedule flexibility, my wife and my daughter went to do some shopping. And then I'm left, with, I'm left with the youngest two, which are my two boys. And my granddad would say, he would describe my boys as they are full of vinegar, which, if, and you, maybe you grew up in a, on a hill or in a holler, that means they're really rambunctious, okay? They got a lot of energy. And so, so I've got, you see how I've got all these things that are spinning in my head. What, what, are, what are we going to do about the yards? Uh, it's all about the children. Uh, and now I've got this rule that I can't apply to because I try to avoid things by making rules. And so I can't apply the it's single digits outside yesterday rule, um, but I need to do everything for the sake of the children. So I said to the boys, I got over myself. I'm trying to be flexible, you see. I'm doing announcements and things like that. And so I said to the boys, let's go outside and you guys play and I'm going to start cleaning up some things. <laughs> in that process, my wife called me. She said, she told me, she said, well, she said to our daughter, I bet your dad's outside. He, he took the boys outside and he's doing yard work. And she said that to me on the phone and I responded by saying, you don't know me. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, what are you doing outside with the boys doing yard work? I mean, what are you doing, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, so I was, there in, in the base of the chaos, because I was raking leaves from leftover from 2017, and uh, <laughs> the base of the chaos was kind of at, we got this large oak tree in the backyard, and that's where all the mess is. It's like, you know, leaves and toys and rocks and sticks and acorns and dead squirrels for all I remember. And uh, so I was, I was uh, raking the leaves in, into a pile, and I didn't think to myself, I've got two young boys out there, and what are young boys going to do whenever you're, you're putting leaves into a pile that's been left over for three years? And my youngest comes over, and he starts kicking it and playing with it and everything, and then, then I get back into my head and thinking about all the rules. I'm like, well, I didn't really make a rule that said, thou shall not kick the leaves, so I guess he's not technically disobedient, because, you know, Moses says that, you know, or Paul says that, you know, the law only increases whenever there's you know, and so anyway, these are all the kind of things that I'm kind of working through. So then, 
And what I want to do is I want to make a rule internally and say, you shall not rake leaves whenever you have rambunctious boys in the backyard. But I'm trying to avoid that. And so I just like, you know what, I'm just going to rake them into a row. I also wanted to test out a theory. I'm just going to rake it into a row because I'm pretty sure that the, these boys won't kick the row. They'll jump over the row. And lo and behold, their father is very wise, by the way. And I, I raked it into a row. And guess what they did? Hey, Dad, watch this. And they jumped over the row. Okay, good. So I'm just going to go with that. I'm being flexible, you see. I'm trying not to make rules, too many rules. I'm being flexible. And I start raking up the leaves and picking up the toys whatever else. And the base of the chaos was there at the tree, but I kind of keep on moving out. And I'm, I've really got my head down and I'm really into this whole yard work that we are going to do. And, <laughs> and um, so eventually, eventually I kind of noticed that I was like, you know what? There's, there's not much going on on this side of the yard. And I kind of look up and I'm on the other side of the yard by this point in time. And, and all the chaos was over, you know, on, on that side of the yard by the tree. And uh, I was like, okay, it didn't take as long. Didn't take as long as I thought it was going to. Here I made all these rules and was avoiding something that, you know, just took a few minutes in all, all actuality. <clears throat> and, and then I got thinking about it, and it's like, you know, life in some ways is, is similar to that experience, just maybe on a deeper and grander scale. There's something about the Christian life that you have times where you kind of have your head down because there's all kinds of things that you're, you're balancing and you're dealing with all at once. You've got all kinds of, of, of plates spinning. You've got all kinds of mess. and You've got all kinds of challenges that you're, kind of, you're trying to sort through in that moment. And, and what happens is, is whenever we come up to challenges, it has a tendency, just like you're cleaning up the yard, it has a tendency to cause you just to look downward and you only see what's kind of in front of you. And, and there's wisdom in that. There's times in life where your life turns so upside down or life goes so sideways that you just have to, to, to shrink your timeline down to just whatever is in front of you and dealing with the mess right here and right now. But the Christian life, it is, it's marked by faith. The Christian life begins through the statement, the declaration based on faith that Jesus is Lord. But that's at the beginning, but it's also at the end. It's a life of faith. The life of faith begins that way, but it continues on every day over the course of your life. And, and the message from the scriptures is, is that the life of faith, the life of a Christian is full of faith. It's full of faith from beginning and to the end. It's what Christians would label a life that is full of faith in the long run. Full of faith over the long term is one that is marked by faithfulness. By continuing to do what it is that you got to do, continuing to live a life of faith, whether you're dealing with a lot of mess or you're dealing with a little mess over a long period of time, and in fact, it's living that life of faith over a long period of time that enables you to overcome opposition. Like, that's the main point of the message, is faithfulness overcomes opposition. 
you have that throughout all the scriptures, that the life of faithfulness, a life that is marked by faith from beginning to end, overcomes, overcomes all sorts of challenges. And we see it in Matthew's gospel, specifically in the passage that's before us. We have the recalling and the death of a faithful man in John the Baptist from the hands of the evil Herod. And it says to us, faithfulness overcomes opposition. There are three ways that faithfulness overcomes opposition. First, faithfulness overcomes opposition by shaping our memories. By shaping our memories. Second, faithfulness overcomes opposition by protecting us from the present moment. By protecting us from this present moment. And then third, by being more powerful than death. First, by shaping our memories. So, Pastor Stephen last week talked about the ministry of Jesus, and specifically when he goes to his hometown and the opposition that he faced. And just so that you know, as you go through and you're studying the Gospel of Matthew, in this section... So Matthew, at the end of 13, all the way into Matthew 16, you're going to have two basic things that Matthew highlights. He will either highlight the miracles of our Lord Jesus, or he will highlight the opposition that our Lord Jesus experienced from other people. So that's what you'll see. You'll see he's going to go back and forth. And the reason for that is, is when a person calls Jesus as Lord, they are placed into the family of God. And when a person says yes to Jesus, they are part of the family of God. And when a person says no to Jesus, they are outside the family of God. And at times, those two peoples come at odds. And so what he's going to do is he's going to show Jesus experienced this. He experienced opposition. He experienced persecution. He experienced challenge. And then he is showing from the life of John the Baptist, that John the Baptist, a man of faith, also experienced the same. Look here with me in verses 1 through 5. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus. And he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. This is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod was arrested. Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias the brother of Philip's wife. His brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. So what happens is, is this man Herod hears about the ministry of Jesus. Now this Herod is the son of Herod the Great from Matthew 2. So you may remember in Matthew 2, this is, this, that um, Herod is known as Herod the Great. He, um, he ordered for the killing of children from three years um, and under to, in an effort to kill the Lord Jesus. He was unsuccessful. He had, other chi he had children, and he has this, um, this son, named Herod as well. But it is not the Herod from Matthew 2. It is Herod Jr., for argument's sake. And so he is a ruler. He is a political leader. And what happens is, is this Herod hears about the ministry of Jesus. 
about him teaching, about him doing miracles, about him doing all these things. And then he says, ah, this must be John the Baptist, and he's been raised from the dead. Now, why would he say that? Well, what happened was, is Herod heard about Jesus, and it triggered a memory. And then what happens is, is Matthew, as he writes about this, he writes about the death of John the Baptist, which had already taken place. And so then he writes about how John the Baptist's ministry had impacted this Herod. <clears throat> this Herod had, had engaged in an adulterous relationship, and John the Baptist had confronted him, and then he was eventually put to death. But what happened was, is he heard about Jesus, and it triggered a memory, and he remembered the life of John the Baptist. I've spoken at length at times publicly about my grandmothers and their impact on my Christian life. I've talked somewhat publicly, but much at much less length, of an aunt that I had who also made a very large impact on my Christian life. It was the older sister of my father. Now, um, you have to know something about about my Aunt Catherine, she, um, she, she never went on a missions trip. She's not one of those high-impact kind of Christians. She never went on a missions trip. But I remember her when my father, who was a non-Christian, atheist most of his life, whenever he was diagnosed with cancer, I remember her with tears pleading to her brother, my father, saying, you must trust in the Lord. She... I, I never recall her volunteering to be a part of a mercy ministry. I never recall her discussing Christians' responsibility to, with regards to justice. I do recall her saying that she worked in a nursing home. and talked about how much she loved it. Talked about how much she loved the residents. I, I, I don't ever recall her singing publicly. To my knowledge, she never wrote a hymn or a worship song, contributed to a worship album. But on the last day that I was with her while she was alive, I do remember that my wife asked my then three-year-old daughter, do you want to sing Jesus Loves Me with Aunt Catherine? And Catherine the Alzheimer's had taken over her memory to the point that she didn't, didn't know who I was. She didn't know who my father was. She didn't know who her parents were. She didn't really remember anything of her life. But when my daughter started singing, Jesus Love Me, Catherine remembered that. She started singing, Jesus Loves Me. She had a really ordinary life, and she went to the church that, she lived like two miles from and participated in what they called fellowship dinners and made chocolate pie for the dinners and yeast rolls because people liked it. Her neighbors liked her. When she passed away in 2012, by that point in time, I had been a pastor and my father had become a Christian. And I wanted to officiate her funeral because... I thought it was only fitting 
Her faithfulness impacted my life. It shaped my memory. And my father made it very clear to me that he didn't want me to officiate her funeral. He just wanted me to grieve the loss of my aunt. Now, for the record, my family isn't opposed to having arguments surrounding funerals. Okay? I'm not saying that's right or wrong, it's just my testimony, okay? But, it was my father's only sibling, the last living relative, he had had cancer for a period of time by that point, and I thought it best not to make a scene. But I internally, so you know a little bit about my internal processes, I thought to myself, they better honor her. Because, look, her life's ordinary. I know a little bit about speaking publicly, and ordinary things don't make for dramatic preaching, in case you didn't already know. And so, when the gentleman got up there, they asked a man who had known the family since they were all in high school, and he started things out by saying, well, Catherine was faithful. And I thought, okay, I can get over myself now. Thanks be to God. And then he did what I thought would happen as he kind of struggled, because what do you say about somebody's life that was so ordinary, and yet it was so marked by faith that I thought, you know what? Her faithfulness shaped his memory of her, and her faithfulness shaped my memory of her. Let me ask you, Whose memory are you shaping? Whose memory are you shaping? Whenever they recall you, they will say, that is a faithful woman. That is a faithful man. That is a faithful girl. That is a faithful boy. Whose memory are you shaping? Second, faithfulness overcomes opposition by protecting us from this present moment. Look here with me in verses 3 through 5. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. So Herod, at some point in time, Herod decided to travel north to go to Rome. And he, encount- he stopped off at his brother's house and he developed a love affair with his sister-in-law, Herodias, Philip's wife. And they agreed. Now, Herodias wanted to make a political impact. She was very interested in politics. Herod's already a politician. And his life was surrounded by politics. And he said, when I come back from Rome, we'll get married. And then that's what happened. They left their spouses and they married each other. Now, Herod's first wife was a political arrangement. The emperor of Rome said, you need to marry this woman because her her father's a neighboring king and we want to have peace in the land. And that's what he did. But you could imagine whenever she came home to daddy after her first husband just left her for another woman, what what would have taken place? 
Dad wasn't happy about that. And it, it broke out into war. And Herod lost the war. And it wasn't popular. And then, for that matter, it wasn't popular, what he did with Herodias. And then, for that matter, you've got this man, this faithful preacher, but he's very popular, and he comes out and he says this, it isn't lawful for you to have her. John was basing that on the Old Testament. John was faithful to the Scriptures, and he's basing it on a number of passages, but Leviticus 20, verse 21, would indicate that Herod can't do what he just did, and John speaks up about it. Now know this, John does not have the First Amendment. He doesn't have the freedom of speech protecting his rights. There is no such thing. But with that being said, he did live in a land where there was a long history of prophets con confronting kings whenever they were in sin, with prophets interacting with kings. And the kings would come to the prophets and want to know what the word says. And sometimes the prophets went to the kings and said, this is what the word says, and this is that type of instance. And he went to Herod and he said, you're in sin. And Herod was so angry that he threw John in prison and he wanted to kill him. But did you see? He doesn't for political reasons again. He feared the people because it was all about politics. He was so caught up in the moment and he was so caught up in his rage, but that subsided. Rage Anger and fear are often the basis of the way a lot of people make their decisions, their political decisions. It's an ancient problem, but it's a contemporary problem as well. Have you noticed that rage is all the rage right now, politically? And it, it really doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're talking about. Rage is all the rage. Have you noticed how many likes people get whenever they put some political post on the Facebook? Right? It rages all the rage. They even have a term for it. They, they call it rage bait. You notice how many retweets somebody gets on, on the Twitter whenever somebody makes some sort of rage-filled, politically charged political statement? Rage is all the rage at the moment. This is not a statement that Christians do not involve themselves, you know, this is not a statement that Christians should not involve themselves in political matters. But there is a problem, and there is a problem, as Herod did, as well as what people do today, is everything's interpreted like it's a political statement. You can't eat a chicken sandwich without it being interpreted as a political statement. You, you, where, you place your, where you put your kids in school is a political statement. It's like unbelievable to me. It's like, is there some sort, you know, is there like a group of people who are like, you know, it's give me Mount Tabor or give me death or something like that? Like, why is everything political? It doesn't mean that you don't. And it doesn't mean that there are not times where Christians, you know, faithfully speak truth to the powers. That's what John the Baptist did. This man was in power. And he said, hey, you can't get away with that. There's times where Christians are going to speak and there's times where the moment demands that we, that we are faithful in that moment. But faithfulness doesn't just get caught up in the moment. Everything doesn't have to be political. And we have to be careful. Like, let us make it our prayer. Lord, lead us not into temptation. 
Because there's something about anger. There, there's something about anger. So Proverbs talks a lot about anger, but Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25, it says this. It says, you, don't, you want to be careful about being friends with a man who's angry. How come? It says, because you'll learn his ways and become entangled by them. Now, what does that mean? With regards to my own anger, there's something about anger that, that causes you to think the right here and the right now is the only time you have. And so what happens is, is you, when, you, when you give yourself to that anger, guess what happens? The, the world responds to it. People respond to it. You can get a lot of things done when you're angry. That's good and bad. But what can happen is, is whenever you engage the world, when you're so full of anger and you get feedback from the world to say, oh, this is how things work. This is the way I'm supposed to do things. Then you can start to think to yourself, ah, oh, this is how you get things done. And Proverbs says, you get entangled by things like that and it'll, it'll do a lot more damage than you have any idea about. Let's make it our prayer. Lord, lead, lead us not into temptation. So much temptation to, to speak in the moment like, like you're on the right side and you're doing the right thing. Lord, lead us not into temptation. The anger of the moment can derail our faith and we need the Lord's grace to keep us from it. And then third, faithfulness overcomes opposition by being more powerful than death. So as the passage continues, we hear about a birthday party that Herod throws. Look here with me in verses 6 through 11. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head. Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted. And he had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. Herodias held a pretty mean grudge against John the Baptist for making such a scene. She had her daughter make a request to have John's head as the centerpiece of the dinner party. And so this girl, Herod's stepdaughter, somewhere between the ages of 12 to 14, most likely, though there was some evidence that she's half that age, does a dance and then makes a request. Herod makes an oath before she makes the request. And then a righteous man is killed. Herod is an example of what happens when people won't follow the teachings of Jesus. You remember the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. He, he makes mention of lust. And get yourself involved in lust. It's, the, it's committing adultery in your heart. Gets himself involved in lust. Gets himself involved in anger, imprisons a man. Gets himself involved with, with, with taking an oath, not just being truthful in his speech, and being so concerned about his appearance and maintaining that oath that he kills a man. And in the scriptures, there's this downward movement 
Again, like I was saying earlier about anger, you, you, get, you become entangled. And, and sin has this way of entangling and pulling downward. And then this is what happens. A righteous man dies. And then what happens is his disciples hear about it. And they want to give him the proper funeral. Look here with me in verse 12. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. These disciples really probably took their own life into their own hands. But as the last act of love, they wanted to give this man a funeral that would honor him. And then they leave and they go tell Jesus about it because at this point, Jesus is all they got. But isn't that fitting? Isn't it fitting that even in John the Baptist's death, his disciples go to Jesus. You think about it. It's John the Baptist in the beginning of the Gospels. John chapter 1, verse 29. It's John who says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Matthew chapter 3, it's John who says, Look, I bat... I, there's one coming after me and you need to repent and be prepared for him. You need to get ready for him. He is, he's the lamb. He's God's Messiah. He's God's son. You need to get ready for him. In Luke chapter 3, it's John who says, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Spirit. And throughout this man's public preaching ministry, he was known for being bold and for pointing people to Jesus. But know this about John's faith. John's faith wasn't merely bold. He had his doubts. It's something that we need to learn about what it means to be faithful. What it means to be faithful doesn't mean that you don't have doubts. In Matthew chapter 11, John is placed in prison. And you remember, he had doubts on whether Jesus was the Son of God. Be encouraged, Christian. Even a righteous man may have moments of boldness and great faith. And guess what? He has moments of despair and great doubts. Because this is the life of faith. It's not just the highlights. It, it encompasses all of life. But guess what John did? Even in his doubts, he sent people to Jesus. I mean, he had his doubts, but he didn't give up on his faith. And he pointed people to Jesus. And here, after this man's life, guess what happens? He points people to Jesus. Christian, your faith points people to Jesus. Even, even your doubts can point people to Jesus, regardless of what it is and where you are at this point in time and whether you're having these bold moments or you're having these doubtful moments. The life of faith points people to Jesus. And for that matter, so what's unbelievable about faith is that when you place your faith in God, it when you place your faith in a God who sent Jesus into the world, it's more powerful than death itself. It still points people to Jesus. That's what John the Baptist did. That's what my Aunt Catherine's done in my life. Faithfulness overcomes death. That's what happened with our Lord Jesus now, isn't it? That's in the Word. 
and it's demonstrated in the Lord's Supper. Because you see, on the night when he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat of it. Do this in remembrance of me because the faithfulness of our Lord, it's meant to shape our memory. In the same way, he took a cup of wine and he says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. Take, drink of it. Do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat from this bread and you drink from this cup, you announce the Lord's death until he returns. Until he returns and puts an end to death and we dine with him forever. After I get done praying and the musicians begin playing, we'll observe the Lord's Supper. There'll be stations throughout the auditorium. Come, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in juice or wine, whichever one your conscience permits. The wine will be marked by a piece of twine and there'll be gluten-free elements to my left and your right, if that serves you well. And if you're a Christian, please partake of the Lord's Supper with us. If you're not a Christian, I would ask that you honor our tradition. This meal is for Christians. But please take Jesus. We can prepare you for communion in the future. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.